Welcome to MMA Business Link. I'm your host, Brian Bierke. Before we begin, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, as well as on our website, which is marshmma.com. This edition of Business Link looks at innovations in agriculture and the implications for risk management and insurance. Our guests today are Nick Oak from SDSU and Mike Barber of MMA. And uh, first, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Mike, why don't you start to tell us a little bit about Mike Barber? Well, I'm Mike Barber. I'm a risk management consultant with MMA, uh, working in the business insurance industry. And uh, just recently, not that long ago, uh, made a shift in careers, have a, a previous history of working at South Dakota State for the foundation, doing fundraising on projects, which coincidentally uh, ties in nicely with what we're talking about today, just because of what's happening at South Dakota State. And I'm sure we'll get into that quite in depth. So, Yeah, you've got that jackrabbit on your jacket, so I kind of suspected something was going on there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I changed my employer, but my heart still certainly lies at South Dakota State <laughs> and will for uh, as long as I'm around. So. Sure enough. And speaking of South Dakota State, uh, Nick, you're right there. Tell us what you're up to and uh, what your past is, what your relationship is with Precision Ag and SDSU. Sure. Uh, so I work at, at South Dakota State in the Ag and Biosystems Engineering Department. And uh, probably 10 years ago when I first started there, we had the Ag Systems Technology Program, which was kind of the, the technology degree for, for students in ag and there was a, a need for the what we now term as precision ag. And so initially we added an, an emphasis in precision ag, which took a, a cluster of classes that co- students could choose from. There was a lot of industry interest in that uh, program and also interest from students. So that then uh, turned into a minor. Um, and, and we now actually offer a major in precision agriculture, so a four-year bachelor of science degree in precision ag and so I've kind of been around uh, since the beginning and it, it's been a lot of fun to be involved in as that major has has come to be. Well I know there's uh, some rumors about uh, you guys actually having some connections to one another. Um, Mike what's what's that all about? How are you and Nick uh, connected? Well uh, as I as I alluded to I was at South Dakota State for almost eight years as the development director in the College of Ag and when you do that, you tend to work on capital projects and, and uh, large initiatives and things like that. So uh, early in my career there, I worked on a new cow-calf facility, a new swine facility. But then about the last three years before I made the change to MMA, the focus was really on a precision agriculture facility. Uh, when you are a development director who's focused on fundraising, uh, you're out beating the bushes, as they say. But when you really have a chance to talk to folks that have the capacity to really move the needle and and do some transformational type giving. Uh, There's no silver tongue approach from the development director that's going to get that done. What you do then is you bring in, uh, whether it's the president, the dean, the department head, and sometimes the most effective thing you can do is bring in the people that are the boots on the ground that are actually delivering to the students and doing the research. And that's where the relationship with Nick comes in. So uh, I would regularly... Um, be working whether it's with private folks or with corporations that have an interest in what's happening at South Dakota State. And then we would either have them to campus or sometimes we would go see them to kind of paint a picture and the vision for what we were trying to do and why it was pertinent to them and to their business. And and having Nick in the room when you're doing that, as you'll learn today, um, he can fill a lot of space talking about precision agriculture. I I, uh, was excited to be on today, but I'm 
a, a little bit concerned about, you know, you don't want to go on a show like this and have the guy sitting next to you be way, way smarter than you are about the topic that you're talking about. <laughs> it's kind of like going to the beach and standing next to the bodybuilder. But uh, that, that's, uh, that's why I've got the relationship with Nick. And um, South Dakota State is lucky to have a lot of really special people there that do really relevant, important work. And I would put Nick at the top of that list as far as being uh, what I kind of considered a rock star, and it just so happens to be in Precision Ag. So, Well, Nick, no pressure at all to this now. You're the smartest guy in the room, right? So uh, you and Mike have uh, had a pretty good relationship uh, when you were both at SDSU, and uh, now you're talking about uh, Precision Ag again. Uh, how, did you, uh, how did you guys work together? Uh, yeah, so i got to compliment Mike also. He uh, <laughs> SDSU's Precision Ag is, is what it is thanks to the work of Mike. And so we one big thing going on at SDSU right now um, is we're working on building a new facility that will house both uh, the agronomy department as well as the ag and biosystems engineering department. So we're going to have engineers in the, in the same building as agronomists working on, working on the same problem. And in precision ag, that's important because precision ag is really tying... Um, the agronomy together with the equipment. And so if, if we come up with a, with a soils issue or a crop production issue uh, that the agronomist has identified, typically it's going to be a machine. We can implement precision strategies on that machine um, to improve the production process. So um, that new building is, is going to set SDSU apart from all other land grants in the nation it's terms of uh, we are the leaders in, in precision agriculture. So uh, the students are excited about it. The faculty is excited about it. And as you can see from, from Mike's work and, and the, the funding for the building, industry is really excited about it. It sounds like it. And really, in a broad sense, we're talking about innovation in agriculture and how it also impacts in uh, risk management and insurance. So for now, let's talk about some of these exciting new ag technologies. Uh, what are we looking at? What's what's the new ag technologies that are really the crest of the wave right now? So the big the big thing in in production ag is uh, well two sides. You got crop production and livestock production. And so if we if we talk crop production um, right now, we can go through the field and we can variable rate all of our inputs. So we can develop a map on the computer, send that map as what they call a prescription rate to the equipment. And so now as that planter, that fertilizer spreader, that sprayer, whatever that equipment is, is moving through the field, it's reading from the computer and determining how much to put down, whether that be seed, chemical, fertilizer. Uh, and so we're really trying to match the inputs to the productivity of the land. And so that can help reduce our input costs, and it can also have environmental benefits so we're not over applying on those um, on certain parts of those fields. Sure. As we move forward, we're going to see a lot on sensor technology. So right now there are there's sensors out there um, that can measure different variables in the field. So for example, there's a company now making an NP and K sensor, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, are macronutrients uh, in the soil, and so that sensor can feed real time to a central computer hub. And we can then use that to develop this prescription rate. So rather than predicting based on um, low or high areas in the field and saying typically this part of the field requires more nutrients than that part, we can now have a sensor in the ground 
that feeds back and says, you need to give me more nitrogen or I have plenty of nitrogen you don't give, need to give me anymore right now. So then we can, we can have multiple of those sensors out in the field. You're moving across the ground, and we can, we can adjust based on what that sensor is feeding back. Uh, same thing in the livestock side. The sensors are starting to make a big push in terms of monitoring uh, herd health and those types of things. And so as sensors become more affordable, that's probably the next big push in ag. And with the sensors, we then also can get into autonomous vehicles, um, self-driving tractors, combines, uh, some of that type of stuff. So as an example, uh, you can go buy a new combine today, and they have sensors on them, cameras monitoring the cleaning system that can self-adjust uh, to make sure we minimize grain loss where it used to be. Uh, we'd be out there and, and check the grain behind the combine and decide if we need to, to open or close that, that system on the combine. All the systems today are moving towards um, being able to do autonomous operation, and uh, we will see that sometime in the future for ag. One of the side benefits for uh, all of this is that uh, farmers can listen to this podcast while they're out in the fields because uh, there's uh, not as much to have to do. But along with all of this innovation, then, uh, what are some of the risks that come about? Uh, where's, where does the risk management uh, side of this come in, Mike? You know, I've got a picture on my desk of my, my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And, you know, they worked their tails off every day, uh, and, but literally uh, broke ground behind a horse. Yeah. And the operations that they had, when I think of farmers today and cooperatives and businesses that are in agriculture, the, the word that comes to mind is sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, better, you better be sophisticated about how you run your operation with regard to your books um, and, and a part of that includes your risk management process and to think about how much exposure you have and how much risk are you willing to take on. And, and at the end of the day, that, that plays a huge role in your profitability and the sustainability of, of your farm, whether you want to leave that to the next generation or not. So, um, you know, some of the obvious things that, that come to mind right away are, are simply the property itself and uh, the cost of it. Um, whether it's something that you're pulling behind a, a tractor or a drone that's in the air. Um, and, and then uh, you get a little more abstract, but it's very real, the liability that goes along that with that. You've got, um, you've got technologies that uh, are, are unmanned and could go haywire, and uh, you've got cyber issues that, uh, you know, you could have all kinds of problems wired into those situations. And I, I think we're evolving as far as what that means to the farmer and to the people that advise the farmer and making sure that they're protected from what they can be protected from. Um, the other thing that, that uh, I don't think Nick has gotten into just yet, but is a huge part of, of what they're doing at SDSU and, and agriculture is taking all of this information that these sensors are gathering and uh, they're churning out spreadsheets like crazy with more data than you can ever imagine. I suppose so. Yeah. And, uh, Along with that data comes the risk of what happens to that data? Who has that data? What could be done with that data? Mm-hmm. What does that tell a vendor about your operation? Are you comfortable with your vendor knowing that? Are you comfortable with other vendors knowing that? Who has access to that? So um, that's not, when we think of business insurance, things like that aren't the first things we think of, but they will be, and they are so more now than ever. And in the future, it's only going to become more and more important 
that uh, that we understand those risks and that we come up with plans to to address them. Um, and then I think from the cooperative side, uh, and this kind of goes back to Nick and what he does every day training these young people, um, having a workforce that understands these technologies is critical. And if you don't have young people to hire who are coming out of school understanding precision ag technologies, that is a risk. And if you're not competing for them and getting them on your staff, someone is. And that's going to put them at an advantage competitively when they go out and talk to that farmer. So uh, I think, I know this is kind of looking at it from a 30,000-foot level, but understanding how critical it is that we have people uh, in our in our retail markets who understand this technology because our farmers are going to those people for advice. And, uh, and supporting that workforce and having someone on staff who... Uh, you know, a good example is continuing ed. If I ran a cooperative, I would have someone that is doing training on technologies and precision technology every month, something new, because that's not enough. That's how much it's evolving and changing every day. So um, I I know I I went down a path that isn't strictly just business insurance, but I think that's how we have to approach what does precision ag ag mean to agriculture and and to farmers. You know, Mike raised a good point, and Nick, not only is there a responsibility for you all to educate the people who are coming in, but there's also the continuing education part for the people who are already out in the jobs who need to learn how to operate these things efficiently and safely. Uh, is there a lot of uh, good programs out there for people to learn about it uh, beyond the educational part of it, uh, some continuing education, as Mike put it? Yeah, there's online courses people can take, and then also typically the equipment manufacturers are are doing continuous training to make sure that the people in the field do understand uh, the product that they're out um, supporting. So, so as Nick said, there's plenty of opportunities, and MMA is taking part in that in terms of helping to educate some of the some of the, your consumers as well. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we have customers and potential customers that we invite regularly. Um, to our to our corporate offices to simply sit in on sessions uh, most times free of charge to learn about uh, industry topics now a lot of times it's agriculture because we do work in different fields it, it can be manufacturing and, and different industries construction things like that uh, safety issues but uh, we regularly do that because we know that that's providing a service that um, that we can offer because of uh, MMA being of the size that it is. So you talked about looking at things from the 30,000-foot level. Let's bring the drone down to field level and talk about people versus technology. What's more risky? Uh, people more risky than technology, or is risk, technology more risky than people? Uh, Nick, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I guess one thing would be the amount of uh, work a machine versus one person covers or is in charge of. Um, you know, technology can can uh, let's put technology on a on a sprayer system for okay. a cooperative. Um, you can cover twenty five, thirty five, fifty thousand acres with one machine uh, today with the size of it. Mm-hmm. And so, if that technology fails, um, even you know this spring, anybody that's in ag knows this year has just been terrible for weather. Uh, so this spring, there's cooperatives that had a, a very small window to get a lot of application done. 
across the Midwest. Um, If those two or three day windows that, that you're provided, if we now have a machine that's down because of a sensor issue, um, that's, that's a huge cost to the company. So when that one machine full of technology is down, it can have a huge effect on the bottom line versus um, 20 years ago when we were depending on mechanical systems, um, that one person ran, you know, probably a percentage of those acres. Um, that's one thing that's changed in, to me in, in the risk assessment side. Okay. So, Mike, I'll let you put you on the spot then, which is more expensive to insure, uh, people or technology? Well, uh, I think in, in the short term, when you're making big investments in technology, it, it can be an expensive proposition, whether it's the insurance of, of what you're, you're purchasing itself or the, the, cost, the cost of it. So uh, what, what comes to mind for me is, again, getting back to the nature of uh, running it as a business and thinking long term and thinking about your own uh, exposure to risk, your tolerance to risk your books and financially what that means to you. If, if there's a new technology out there that uh, everyone's talking about, but the cost of it is prohibitive for you to have it on your operation, then uh, you don't want to put yourself at risk by going out there and exposing yourself to that expense. But uh, I think relative to um, other retail opportunities, like when the flat screen TV first came out, digital TVs, I don't remember what they cost, but I remember I couldn't afford one. Uh, so eventually those things evolve and they become more common. And I think balancing wanting to have the next greatest best thing with your own individual operation, uh, how much liquidity you have in terms of cash and whether or not it makes sense for you to make those purchases uh, is really important. And then equating that to the fact that you're going to need to protect yourself from the risks that go along with that. It's a complex world, and, and uh, precision technology is complex not just because it looks so cool and has a lot of data, but it, it forces you to make decisions as a farmer that you've never even had to, to think about. I, you know, I, I think about uh, technology and changes in farming over a long graph, and uh, you know, it, that graph slowly went up over time. And probably when you got away from horses and got into tractors, it made a huge leap on the graph. And uh, when when uh, Roundup Ready technologies and, and things changed with regard to chemicals that can be used in the field and the productivity that went along with that, there was a big bump there. And there's other times that you can chart off on, on a graph when things have changed. But I think we are at the start of this graph looking like something it's never looked like in the history of farming. I I think it's on a trajectory that's angling up quickly and that that's not going to stop for quite some time. So um, that's kind of a long way of saying uh, you better be on top of the situation and not get caught up in what's the greatest technology out there, but what's the right technology for me, for my family, for my operation, and what's the right time to bring it on board for us. So is that how new technologies are going to be insured? Uh, how, how can that be when we don't even know what some of those new technologies are or what they're capable of? You know, that's a really good question because right now, if you were working with someone and if you're a farmer and you're working with someone to protect your risk or you're a cooperative and you're working with someone that uh, when you ask them questions about precision, pre- precision ag and the challenges that go along with that, if, if they 
give you a sense that they have all the answers, I would take a long, hard look at uh, what the reality of that situation is. It is truly all these words like innovation and being dynamic. They really are applicable. And the insurance industry is going to have to change, too. Um, I think the most important thing you can do if you're involved in agriculture and if you're exposed to risk, you cannot over-communicate with your trusted advisor. If you have a situation where you're thinking about bringing on a new piece of equipment, if you are getting data that you have never had in the past that you don't know what to do with, uh, you better have a trusted team of advisors, and one of them better be a risk management consultant of some sort. Uh, because they won't have all the answers, but they need to understand your operation. They need to know what you're up to, and they can go work with carriers and different folks. I mean, that's policies change over time, and carriers do uh, bring on endorsements and write new policies, and it's because they're being responsive to the market. And policies will have to change in relation to the exposures that we see um, over time that uh, we can't even, as you, I think you said, you can't even envision it. Nick works every day in agriculture doing things that 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, no one would have ever thought was a realistic possibility. True. And he's doing it every day with 18-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. They've got, uh, he can talk at length about this if, if he gets a chance, but um, they actually have units that they send out to the field and half the class stays in class and half the class goes out to the field and they program software glitches into it and they communicate virtually and just the way that a farmer would when he's calling into the implement, they work through those problems um, and, it's, and it's all virtual and it's all out there and uh, it, it's, it, it almost seems space age to me sometimes and it's, it's not, it's, it's reality, it's today. Who can, uh, who can businesses, cooperatives, farmers look to for advice about, this, uh, about the new technologies and what the risks are? Who are, who are their trusted advisors? As I indicated earlier in our discussion, I, I joined um, this team not all that long ago, and uh, I've been thrilled with the fact that, uh, that this, this operation is a place that wants to build relationships with people where they really do understand the nature of their business. Um, we are not about getting a quick list of what you need insured and shooting quotes out to you. That is not who we are. That is not what we do. We want to be someone who is on your team to make yourself sustainable, profitable, and achieve your goals with regard to what it is that, that you want to accomplish with your business. So um, I do think it's important to have, uh, whether you're working with us at MMA or someone else, uh, someone who, uh, you know, stopping by and stopping by and saying hello every now and then and, and buying you lunch is great. And I do that and I enjoy doing it and it's a part of the relationship. Um, but you better also, uh, spend some time on some spreadsheets and on some policies and on some breakdown of their operations so that you really understand their business. And if the people that you're working with aren't doing that, um, then there's layers to the onion that you're not getting to. And, uh, and you really need to develop that. So MMA risk management consultants get it. Uh, how do they help large operations, how cooperatives uh, to get their arms around all this new technology as it uh, continues to evolve? Well, I, I think it starts uh, again with understanding what you already have. So um, inventorying your current situation, um, knowing who you have on staff, their roles, uh, and, and really assessing where you are today. And then 
asking the all important question, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in five years and 10 years? What are, what are your biggest problems that you deal with every day? What gives you pain? What keeps you up at night? Excellent. Okay, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you guys now. Uh, I'm going to ask you to put your wizard hats on for a second. We're heading into a new year, and I kind of like it because it's 2020, you know. So, mm-hmm. so what's your uh, what's your 2020 vision of what where precision technology is headed into the future? What can you can you give us an idea of what's coming? What uh, what the possibilities are? You know, when I drove down here today, um, thanks to the weather, there were no combines moving, unfortunately. But uh, Mm -hmm. assuming 20 years from now when I make that drive, there are combines out. I don't think there will be operators in the cab. Um, So you'll have a lot of autonomous equipment out operating. Um, On the livestock side, there's research being done now on, you know, we can put cameras into barns and we can monitor herd health. Uh, and we can, we can, with artificial intelligence, surveillance of those animals, and now with, with 5G coming, we can, we can uh, have huge amounts of data that are being transferred. And um, we will be able to monitor herd health without having a human walking through those buildings. Um, we'll be able to look and say, this, this specific animal hasn't moved in uh, you know as as much as it normally does, um, it's not going up to the water, uh, whatever that might be, and we can use that to predict herd health. So sensors, the sensor world will explode. And somebody described, I heard, um, you take 5G artificial intelligence and surveillance, and you've basically created a brain for whatever that system's on. So the the hog buildings will have their own brain basically. Um, and so that's that's looking long term forward. Uh, it's up to your imagination as much as mine on what that can actually lead to. Um, but kind of as Mike alluded to, the the world of agriculture is changing, and we're just we're just getting onto that ramp. So part of your image in the future was uh, autonomous vehicles, and uh, you know right now we think about and we hear about self driving cars, which seems scary enough as it is. Uh, then we're moving on to self-driving combines and uh, trucks and all of that. So where does, where does machine learning come into the picture here, and how is it going to be able to develop to a point where we can really rely on autonomous vehicles to be truly autonomous and also safe and relatively risk-free? Sure. So on the, on the autonomous vehicle side, as an example, uh, I was at a seminar a few years ago, um, and the, the company ASI Robotics was given a presentation. Um, and so if there's any autonomous vehicle work going on, they're usually involved in it. Uh, and, and there was the example of the Tesla car that has an autonomous system that is not enabled, but it compares how the autonomous system would have reacted compared to how the operator actually did react to a situation. Mm-hmm. So, and the example that was given was um, this uh, this Tesla car is coming up on a on a person riding their bike, and that individual is has their left hand up in the air, so the car assumes it's taking a left, so the car would like to yield and wait for that biker to take the left turn. Uh, the operator in the seat of the car looks at the biker and notices he's scratching the back of his head, thinks nothing nothing of it, and goes around the goes around the bike. Uh, that car then learns that 
if the hand isn't at a 90 or moving, whatever it might be, that that doesn't necessarily mean it's doing a left-hand turn. Uh, that that artificial intelligence will be needed. Um, it, it's, it's part of the complete system for that uh, automated vehicle. And so I, I do think we'll see it in the automotive industry first, and then the ag world will probably uh, adapt that technology. So what sort of situations would there be similar to the Tesla and the left-hand signal of the biker uh, out in the field, for example, uh, that would, uh, that would uh, cause problems for uh, autonomous uh, vehicles to, to use? So probably an easily understandable example in the, in the ag equipment world would be, since it's combine season, um, you're combining corn and you come up on the, on the headlands, and there's an obstacle in the way. Is it a deer that's gonna, I don't need to worry about slowing down, it'll get out of the way? Is it a fence post because there's some of those still around? Or is it a small child? So the machine needs to be able to know um, what, it's, what it's about to encounter. So Mike, uh, what about all that and how does uh, Folks at MMA and uh, others uh, handle all the upcoming uh, challenges that uh, all that new technology uh, can present. Well, uh, when I when I think about the future, and I don't know if, if it's so much applicable to um, to insurance and risk management, but um, I think about rural communities and I think about opportunities. And uh, there's a lot of folks who. Uh, the younger generation has not been able to come back to the farm for one reason or another. And uh, maybe mom and dad aren't ready to leave the farm yet. And it just comes down to dollars and cents. And that's how they make their living. And then farm isn't big enough. But that young person doesn't want to go live in the big city. The technology involved with uh, assisting our farmers and uh, the trusted advisors that we talked about earlier uh, are going to present tremendous opportunities for young people in rural America and in small communities to stay there and to have good paying jobs and not feel as though, um, boy, I wanted to stay in this small town and in this area, so I had to settle for a career that was less than what I aspired to. Uh, I think that's really exciting, and it's really healthy for states like South Dakota where uh, agriculture in, in many ways means everything. The other thing I think about is uh, it's also going to present opportunities to bring uh, an appreciation for agriculture and opportunities in agriculture to young kids in urban areas who don't know Sikkim about agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, they know data. They know computer science. They like it. They've spent much of their life in front of a computer doing programming. And uh, those young people, when they're 25, 30, 35, are going to go home for their reunion and they're going to say, well, where do you work? And they're going to say, I work at Company X and it's going to be a huge ag company. And they're working in that urban area and they're supporting farmers uh, by helping analyze that data and helping farmers make decisions that are driven by that data. Um, and I think that's just a really healthy thing. And um, I think anytime in our country, we have opportunities to open doors for young people um, to areas that are not traditionally where they might have uh, migrated to automatically. That's a really healthy, healthy thing. So, uh, and then the last thing, I don't want to, I'm rambling a little bit, but 
the last thing is uh, mathematics. Again, you get into that data. Um, it used to be that if you got a math degree, there's a huge percentage chance that what you were going to do was what? Go teach math. And that's a noble career, and we still have a lot of kids getting math degrees that are doing that. But the percentage of students that are coming out of universities with math degrees that are going into private industry because they're the ones that can do work their magic with these numbers yeah. is tremendous. So again, it's about opportunities um, and, and new places for young people to look at and think, well, maybe that's what I could do with my life and make the kind of living I want and live where I want. And, uh, and I just think it's really exciting. And as we look into the future, I know MMA, because of its size and capabilities, is going to be able to continue to increase their knowledge and abilities to involve with the technology. Well, and the best example of that is when I alluded to the big companies that these folks are going to work for. We, we will have people that are, uh, that are spending every day of their working career analyzing data uh, to help farmers because the agricultural sector is such a huge part of our of our business. Um, and in our Sioux Falls office, uh, we really want to work with places like South Dakota State to be somewhat of an epicenter for um, MMA when it comes to uh, the resources nationwide with regard to agricultural understanding of, of these technologies. And it's just kind of a perfect marriage. We've got uh, folks on our staff that are passionate about agriculture. I was with one of our producers yesterday, and uh, she talked about swine production uh, with as much passion as you tell a story about your kids. I mean, she was just incredibly passionate about helping farmers who want to raise hogs be profitable, and it was just neat to, to sit back and watch. And that's the kind of uh, staff that we have. With our network, uh, you know, oftentimes if we don't have something at our fingertips, um, and I'm learning this quickly in my time here, the uh, wealth of knowledge that we have within MMA and the places in the country we can call where we will find someone who has worked in that area, who has an understanding of that area, is uh, immense. And uh, that's exciting. Well, that prompts me to say if uh, someone's listening to this and wants to learn more about MMA, um, what should they do? Who should they contact? Well, they can certainly contact me directly at 605-940-8377, or they can uh, find us on marshmma.com. That's all the time we have for this edition of MMA Business Link. You can learn more about MMA and subscribe to these podcasts by going to our website, marshmma.com. I'm your host, Brian Bjorke. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>